Good evening and welcome to Fresh Start. Uh, my name is Marge. I've been sober 4,893 days. <laughs> you want to figure out on your calculator, it's 13 years and 5 months. Okay, my background is, I was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. I had very loving parents and very supportive parents. So that wasn't the reason I drank. <laughs> I did have an older brother that was six years older than me. And he was a half-brother. And um, he drank in. He drank in high school. He got a lot of DWIs. And uh, he went to recovery, left recovery, and continued to drink. And I remember him coming home on every holiday and he would be ripped and he you know there's people that drink and pass out and there's people that drink and flirt and there's people that drink and fight he was the drinking kind and the fighting kind and um my mom she was a housekeeper and my dad he worked a heavy construction job Here's the superintendent. So every Christmas, they would get uh, from vendors hams and turkeys and, of course, liquor. And uh, my mother, she was delighted because she loved the uh, oh, the little bottles they would come in. Decanters. They used to be beautiful. So she would show all of her decanters around. But nobody drank any, but they, but they loved to look at them. My brother, um, I remember saying I'll never be like that. Um, he used to come to my home, and I would throw him out because I didn't want him to be disgustedly drunk in front of my kids. And there again, I did that, you know. He, uh, he uh, was in Omaha, came down to Arizona, got a lot of trouble here, went back to Omaha. And... Uh, when I was down here, when I first came down in about 94, the Salvation Army called me. And they, and they told me that my brother's been in this hospital for two months, and that he was in special care. And so I flew up there, and um, if you wanted to see him, you had to dress all down in the gowns and the masks and all that. And it is so funny because... If you ever worked in a hospital, if there's no family that comes and sees you, usually the staff adopts you as their own. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was sad because there was no family there for him. And um, I could only take a week off, so I, I came back here and went back to work. And sure enough, in two weeks, he died. And it was... It's like the saying, you know, AA, you have, you die, you go to jail, or you find recovery. That or, that's your options. Um, the Salvation Army also wrote me another letter of his funeral. No one was there except them, and they buried him. When I was 19, I met this charming, tall guy, 
and um, we found love in September, and we got married in November, six weeks later. But Vietnam was going on at that time, and um, and he was a commercial artist, and he was he still had six months left of school, and. We got married, went on our honeymoon, came back, and he was drafted. And he came from a real small town. He knew the draft board. So they allowed him to stay till his graduation. So the next day he left. We ended up in Florida. And uh, like I said, he was a graphic artist. So he worked with, um, with headquarters. And they don't send those guys overseas. They keep them here in the states. So, so uh, we were we had an apartment. It was about thirty seconds from the gate, and um, we would have the parties on Saturday night. And watching my brother destroy his life, I figured I could have two drinks if I want per day. And um, that was my limit. So since the party was at our house, I still only had two drinks. And, um, and that, that held me until I was almost 40. I could have two drinks. Uh, after the service, we went back to Omaha, and he went to work for an advertising agency. And at that agency, um, they drank a lot. Like all businesses, you know, they always have their booze around and uh, parties. And I still kept my two drinks because I was going to drive home. And within that marriage, we had three children. And um, we were married 39 years, and he died. Not of alcoholism, blood poisoning out here on the ranch. And um, and I was upset because I still had a child in school. And it was like, he was a great artist but a lousy businessman. So his bills were high. And, and um, I learned to, I learned not to drink when he was in the hospital. He died with like 10 days. And at the funeral, we took him back to Nebraska. I didn't drink then. And um, so we buried him back there. But in the summertime, I would have six weeks vacation, so I would go back there to his grave. And sure enough, six months after he died, I hit my bottom. I went out to the cemetery with my six-pack, sitting there sobbing like an idiot. But after six months, nobody says... You know, how are you doing? They expect you to be over that. Everything should be okay. But um, I was sobbing away with the rental car. <laughs> I drove it back to the house, and they were having a dinner for me. Of course, I didn't show up because I, I drink and I pass out. So I went to bed, let them have dinner. When my husband and I were in Omaha, though, we started to drink a little bit more. Well, I started to drink a little bit more, maybe two, maybe four. 
and then off the chart. But he enabled me. He was he didn't drink at bars, he only drank at the house. So he would buy him a twelve pack and buy me a six pack. And of course I thought that's not fair. Even though you weigh two hundred pounds and you know, but that's not fair. So what I would do is I would drink mine, and then I'd put water in about three or four of them and set them back in the refrigerator. It looks like I still had that many left. You know, thinking how clever we are. And um, so he, he wouldn't complain. He says, God, you're acting funny. Honey, I only drank three. You could check the fridge, you know. And then he would sit there and say, you coming to bed? Sure I am. <laughs> no. I had no intention to go to bed. I was going to sit here and drink whatever was left. So um, when I hit that bottom at the cemetery, uh, an aunt told me, she says, I want you to come see our pastor tomorrow. Will you do that? I said, well, sure. And of course, I was in a blackout, agreeable. And then the next day, she says, you're going to come, like you said? And I thought, oh, shit. Yes, yes. I, you know, I said I would, I would. Well, this pastor, she was with Al-Anon. And <laughs> she informed me that I might have a problem, that her husband had a problem. And she went, but she didn't say, you know, you have a problem. You know, it's like, um, I heard the only person that could diagnose you being an alcoholic you a doctor can't diagnose it. Only you could diagnose it. And it was getting to the point when I know that was true is when I would be coming home and I'm saying, I'm not gonna drink tonight. I'm not gonna drink tonight. I'll I'll have just a couple. Well, that wasn't true. I was gonna have more. It's got to the point of alcohol told me how much I'm gonna drink for the evening. So I come back uh, to Arizona <coughs> after my little vacation up there. And uh, the first thing, I went to a meeting, and I'll never forget, I went by myself. I just walked right in there, and it was four men. <laughs> I'm saying, oh, great. But, but they started talking, and what they were saying is what I was feeling. I could feel that loneliness, fear of being, you know, and it was just like they were filling the hole that, that I had. I'm sitting there, how did they know? You know, those guys are so smart, you know. So they, so they gave me a big book and told me there was meetings out in West Phoenix. But that was my first being honest with myself, knowing that I couldn't control it on my own. And on that, if you don't mind, chapter 3, page 31. <laughs> These are some of the methods we tried. Drinking beer only. Limiting the number of drinks. Never drinking alone. Never drinking in the morning. Drinking only at home never having it in the house, never drinking during business hours, drinking only at parties, switching from scotch to brandy, 
drinking only natural wines, agreeing to resign if I ever drunk if I ever if I ever drunk on the job, taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever, with and without some oaths, taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to a health farm and a sanitarium, accepting voluntary commitment to asylums, and the list could go on. And I remember thinking, I, I was educated, and I thought, and I'm stubborn as I'll get out, and I was thinking, I could do this. And Paul was around at that time, and uh, well, the reason I could do it, I was drink, I was drinking and driving out here, That's fine. and uh, the chef picked me up, <laughs> and he asked me where I lived, and I was, I was trying to tell him, you know, so he wanted my license. So I showed him where, you know, that's where I live, and uh, he took me home, and my husband was there. And uh, he took my husband to go get my truck. Meanwhile, I'm trying to explain what I was doing, you know. But I was, I'm sitting there, okay, you're in trouble. So I'm going to quit drinking. So I quit for nine months. But the problem was the obsession was still there, but I was just, I'm going to be stubborn. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. But I did. And so after that little episode, I learned they A, first you have to be honest. And you have to accept the power that you're powerless over alcoholic. Then you have to be honest to admit that you have the problem. And then, then I had to be honest to a sponsor. Then I had to be honest to my children and make my amends. And to this day, I make a, a living amends to my child. It's funny, Katie and I were talking today, and she has two more adopted kids, and um, and she was being so kind with them. <laughs> I would have been screaming about this time. And I said, you know, you're a good mom. You are. She says, thank you. She says, you're a good mom. And I thought, no, I wasn't always there for you. And she said, that's okay. I learned from you. You learned what not to do, you know. And then, like when I went to my first meeting, they gave me help because I could relate to them. And and then I asked God for the desire uh, to quit drinking. And sure, within a week, he gave that to me. And also, I found a higher power. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad was Methodist. My mother was baptized Catholic. And I think my grandfather was Jewish. So... When I got older, my mom said, you could pick your own religion. And so I went to different churches and stuff like that. But she would tell me, her good old Catholic, if, if, you, if you do bad, God's going to punish you. So 
I perceived it if I if, if I did something bad, I was going to be punished by this God. Well, I was going to the meetings, and I was coming around the white tanks, and it, it dawned on me, my God is not a punishing God. And um, and I, that took like a a burden off because I thought all these bad things were happening is because God was mad at me. And I realized He still loves me. And the fourth thing I've learned from AA is um, the searching the fearless moral inventory. Now, I had to be honest there, too. It's like, my God, this program is nothing but honest, honest. I can't cheat. I can't get out of this. And then I had to admit that I was really an alcoholic, and and you know how alcoholics in their behaviors can be a little outrageous, a little over the top, getting eighty six, you know, just little things of this nature. And then I was, as you can tell, we're doing the principles. <laughs> And then, and the willingness, and I was willing to change my life. I was really tired of waking up in the morning, looking in the mirror, and then I'm saying, now, who, who are you anymore? I'm so sick and tired of this. I was getting up in the mornings and realizing, well, did I say something last night? Do I owe somebody an apology? But then being a good out blackout drinker, I don't remember if I did or not. And if you're talking to me, apparently, I didn't insult you last night. Mm. Okay. And that's another thing, forgiveness. When I went around mm, to making my my list, I'm saying I forced my family first and friends. I never drank with my employees. So I knew better to go out with them. God gave me that clarity because I, I wouldn't know how much I was going to drink. So uh, I never drank with people I worked with. And all my friends, they didn't even drink. And But then again, if they would call me at night, my husband would give them an alibi. Oh, she's taking a bath. You know, he would cover it. I mean, so, and then with all the blackouts I had, I, I'm sort of like, my list was pretty short with family and and people I know really close. Because other people didn't know. If they did know, they didn't let me know it. It was... Freedom is number nine in the principles. And after going just through those steps, I was amazed the burden off my shoulders. I could... I could be just, I'm fine, I'm okay. I don't have to apologize. I don't have to worry what I did last night. I could wake up in the morning, not come to in the morning. And it was it was like, this is good. And 10, uh, prevent. Every day <coughs> I wake up and I ask God to help me with the day. 
I did a lot today because I knew I was talking tonight. <laughs> and I'm sitting here. I do practice. If if I get out of line, I do, I do try to apologize within a reasonable time. Like I had to apologize to Paul today. God, that hurt. It's like vinegar coming out of my mouth. <laughs> but... <laughs> And every day I do pray, pray for guidance, just to direct me. And, oh, humility. Oh, I like that one. Because when, when you drink, or when you have that kind of problem, you have an ego problem. And it's awful hard to be humble if you have an ego going with you. you know. But I learned that. It's, it's, it's better... <laughs> It's better to <laughs> it's better to apologize and, and keep my mouth shut than having to worry about but, yeah. Let's see, patience. I do have a lot more patience. I listen. I try not to interrupt people when they speak because they might say something I might need to know. And we used to go to this meeting it was so funny, this this girl they would come up. We had a topic, and she would get up there, and she would not talk about the topic. I don't know. She talked about her day. It was all about her, 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 you know. And Paul and I would sit. Well, we didn't learn anything this time, but one of these days, she might say something we need to know, but it wasn't today. <laughs> I'm glad I went through all these steps, and then I got my life back, not the alcoholic life that I was living for that time. And with this AA's taught me, I enjoy my grandchildren a lot more. I've got to travel. I have been to Europe a couple times. My girlfriend and I, we went to Hawaii for a month. I mean, it was fun. It was, and didn't have to drink. <laughs> And then I met Paul. <laughs> well, I've known Paul for a long time because Paul was my brother-in-law. I married his older brother. So I knew Paul, and I knew about all of his wives. And I knew, I knew the first one, the other three I didn't know. So Paul came to me, and Paul liked to drink. And uh, he still drank, and I was... Um, six months in the program. And he sat one night, and he was weaving back and forth, and almost to one of those, I feel so sorry for myself, I, you know. And he says, I'm, I need help, and that's all I need to hear. You need help? Don't drink. Meet me tomorrow, you know. I have a place to take you. And sure enough, he went, and, hey, uh, <laughs> In fact, it's his birthday this Sunday. But, so we dragged him to that. I followed him home, just seeing if he was going to stop at the store. If he did, I was going to pull him behind him and say, oh, I forgot to get milk. Why are you here? You know? But he was good. He was good. And then he asked me to marry him. And I said, not till you're three years sober. Because um, 
how to say it politely, the first couple of years you're squirreling hell, you don't even know what you want, you know. So after three years, we got married. And we did a lot of things. We didn't um, went on a cruise, didn't cry. <laughs> and that was another story, too. We went to a meeting, and it was on a, on the cruise ship, and they announced it, you know, friends of Bill and Charlie's there. They're having a meeting in the bar. It's like, really? <laughs> so we went down there, and sure enough, the bar was closed, and they were having the meeting there. And there was only two other couples, and believe it or not, we're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and these people are from Tucson. Mm-hmm. You know, what a small... <laughs> but anyway, but it's been... It's been a wonderful journey, and I guess my daughter's right. It was my journey. I had to do my lessons. I had to learn it. Um, it's, it's been good. It's been good. Unfortunately, I have uh, my oldest daughter. She has pill problems, alcohol problems, all kinds of problems. And, um, and that's her journey, and I can't. I can't stop that. She has to live her own life, and I just hope she finds recovery and not the other two. I don't know what time it is, but we're going to be ending this real soon. (laughs) Okay, I love this thing. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We, uh, We realize we know only a little. God is continuously just disclosed more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation that you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answer will come in your own, if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you don't have. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come and pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you... Uh, and I have my new glasses on. Give freely of what you find and join us. We uh, we shall be with you in the fellowship and the spirit and the spirit, and you will surely meet us along as you drudge the road of happiness, happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. And I wish you all a merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you.